0: So the reading this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 16 and it's titled Unity in the Body of Christ. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work.
1: Thanks, David. Uh, You'll uh, remember uh, that uh, a couple of uh, months ago I started this little... uh, Thing looking at uh, the savage life, the challenge to us to live life differently, not just to keep on keeping on with the normal routine run-of-the-mill life that uh, sadly we get sucked into time and again. And uh, this word "savage," you remember, has uh, become a word that's used now more and more in society. Uh, it's a word that uh, talks about awesomeness. Uh, To be savage in today's usage seems to mean that you don't really care about the consequences of your actions so much it's about getting on and doing things. So when you see somebody doing something savage you're, you're left thinking, what the, what do you think you're doing? Because it stands out, it's different, it's not normal. So it's perhaps doing something other people don't have the guts to do. And we considered how the Christian life in many ways, should be a savage life. It shouldn't be the normal uh, run-of-the-mill everyday life that we see other people living. If we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, if he's transformed our lives, changed our lives 45 years ago, as in Lou's case, then it needs to make a difference and we live our lives in a way that challenges other people. And they look at us and they go, whoa! And sadly, they don't, do they? Because look at us. Look at us. We're not living the savage life. And so we've been playing with this uh, for the odd Sunday morning and and just looking at it. We don't want to settle for dullness. I know many of you loved this picture last week, so I put it back up. We don't want to settle for that. We don't want to settle for normality. And we developed this idea over the last few weeks, speaking about the fact that the Christian life as a savage life. Is characterized by things like hope and value and power. And then another time we went on to see how the Christian life, the savage life, is hugely characterized by grace. The fact that, you know, when you understand that God does not treat you as you deserve to be treated, wow, that is transformative that really radically sits with your head and starts to challenge you about the way that you live. And then last Sunday we noted honestly that huh, many of us feel inspired as we're in here meeting together on a Sunday about living a savage life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easy when you're in here, isn't it? We're all together and everything's sweetness. and like. The problem is we have to go into the real world and bombarded. With all kinds of messages and normality. And we say that we want to live a different life, an alternative way, a faith filled, spirit energized, savage life for the glory of Jesus. <sighs> but the truth is, by the time you get off the bus, or you're halfway through your first class, or you're getting that mid morning cup of coffee, your inspiration is fading fast. And you quickly begin to feel quite discouraged, uninspired. And to be honest, very normal once again. And not least, as we said last week, because what happens is we're too quickly reminded of our own limitations. We're very aware of our limitations. And uh, we talked about how God just wants to give us a life that experiences immeasurably more of him at work in our lives uh, day by day. Now, as we've been exploring all of these themes, we've been basing ourselves in the book of Ephesians. So if you want to open up Ephesians, that would be really good, because we're going to spend a little bit of time in there uh, this morning again. As you're doing that, let me just ask you this question. How much time do you think about things like personal success? How much time do you think about fulfilment? Doing those things that you really want to do, aspire to do. How much time do you think about greatness? I think as I look around society today, as I engage with the media, as I talk with normal people, an awful lot of the world talks about those things a lot. It's quite normal today, in college, in school, in the workplace, in our families, to have those kinds of discussions. It starts when kids are really small. What do you want to do when you grow up? And then, parents know this, you you start to take some of that on board and you start to channel your kids in a certain way. And so you will actively encourage them. Maybe in a more academic route or a more musical route or or whatever it might be, because you're trying, trying, trying to bring together the possibility that's within them. You identify with that? Well, we've all been there. And in the workplace, we are constantly offered opportunities. Uh, to go on to the next level, career development, ongoing professional development. These are things that are commonplace in the workplace because they're trying to get us to continue stepping up to the next level, to progress. And so we naturally talk about being fulfilled. Are you fulfilled in your job, if you've had a, a review? If you've sat with your line manager, that may well be one of the questions you get asked. Do you feel fulfilled in your present role? It's quite normal to talk about things like this. Questions like, how can I maximise my potential? How can I be the best that I can be at what I do? How can I be the greatest version of who I'm meant to be, created to be? We talk about these things in Christian circles. How can I accomplish my dreams? How can I get what I desire? Those are normal questions. A lot of you have been nodding as I've been going through them, especially those of you working these days. You know exactly these things are being asked. But let me me propose something savage to you this morning. I want to propose to you the idea that we actually find our greatest sense of purpose not when our energy and our giftedness and our focus are put towards making the most of our lives individually. But instead, we find our greatest sense of purpose when our energy and our giftedness and our focus are put toward being part of something far bigger. In a Christian context, I'd argue it's about being part of the church, the body of Christ. Now, to some of you, that, that's, that's a weird notion, this idea of body. It's something I've talked with many Christians about over the years. Why, why is the sense of body being used? To describe a church, well, it's back to what my grandmother used to say, isn't it? You know, church is people, not a building. This is a chapel. You may say it's a case of semantics, but my grandmother was right. The church understands, uh, the Bible understands, that the church is not bricks and mortar, plasterboard and wood. The Bible understands that the church is a body. It is a physical body. People make up the church. And that's a very, very important thing. Uh, We talk a lot about bodies, and uh, we talk a lot about having peak physical conditioning. This is a picture for Mrs. Owen. This this was me just a little while ago, and I I just thought... But that's... the, The Bible talks about this. The Bible says you are the body. Of Christ. That's the key thing. And yet the world, the world is preoccupied with that. The world is telling us all of the time it's about you. It's about you fulfilling your dreams, you maximizing your potential, becoming everything that you can be. Look at Instagram, look at Twitter feeds, look at the media. You follow things. It's all about this, this pressure. And I've deliberately put a man there. Because there's a lot of guys will tell you, it is a particular pressure on guys, not just women. And yet the Bible cuts across this kind of creeping individualism and says the way for you to be truly you and to be truly fulfilled in who you are is to become part of something far bigger that isn't focused uniquely on you. It's to be part of the church, the body Of Christ, the body, the church, a group who believe in Jesus and live out his mission. When Jesus left planet Earth, he left his body. That might sound a bit shocking for some of you here this morning. He didn't actually leave. I mean, he did leave, but he didn't. It's the beginning of a conspiracy theory, right? Elvis is not alive and living in Mirtha. just let me make that clear. But, but if you read the way that the Bible understands the whole event surrounding Jesus going back to heaven when he ascended, it's clear, isn't it? He had a plan. Uh, we marvel how, how people like Steve Jobs seem to see into the future, and he had a plan for technology that went far beyond his death. Well, I want to tell you, Jesus had a plan that went far beyond his ascension. He was smarter than Steve Jobs and more savage than Elvis, I tell you. He he didn't just come here to planet Earth, make the biggest impact any person has ever made, affecting past, present, and future, and how we measure time itself, just to then jump ship. Jesus had a plan the entire time. And his plan revolved around the body. And I think it's very deliberate that this was the language incorporated by the early church. He was leaving behind a body. Jesus' game plan to leave behind the body wasn't a secret. He spoke about it plainly and pretty openly. At one point he tells his disciples that after he ascends into heaven, his followers are going to do greater works than he's done. Tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. You ever thought about that? Jesus says you will do even greater works. He's essentially saying, look, I can feed a whole lot of people, but billions of believers could feed trillions of people. In effect, he's saying, I can pray for a lot of people, but believers throughout the world could pray for trillions of people. I can teach people, but billions of believers could teach a whole lot more. So it's not so much that believers today are greater than Jesus by significance. It's rather to do with the the fact that we can do far more collectively than one person can do. Do you get that? It's so important we understand this. We are the body of Christ. Each one of us. Jesus rocks up to work with you every Monday morning. Jesus will be with you as you queue in the post office on Wednesday. Jesus will be with you when you are trying to sort out that family argument. Jesus will be with you because you are part of his body. This isn't a one-man show anymore. He has asked us to be collectively responsible for his ongoing work and mission. So the body are Jesus's followers who live out the mission of Christ. Several years ago, when we were at Milton, we had to move out of our building, and we met in a school for a year, whilst a new chapel, a building, was being built. And so we got all the power from, if any of you have ever been involved in a church where you've had to do this, you'll know it is hard work. We had to put everything from Sunday school crayons to hymn books, everything you need, collection bags, microphone speakers. We bunged it all. We bought a double axled trailer and we used to bung it all in there. And on a Sunday morning, it all started off very enthusiastic. You can imagine, can't you? Everybody was willing to help. By week four, two of us. And sometimes, to be honest, one of us. And I can remember, we'd been doing this for a long time. Months had gone on. And we got to the stage, it was time for Sarah and me to have a holiday. Glory be, a holiday. How the hell are they going to manage? That's all I could think. How are they going to set up? Who's going to do all of this? So I thought the best thing to do is get the young people together. Get the young people together and get a group of their 20s and 30s together. And I can remember a conversation with them saying, come on, just do what I do. Let me show you what happens. We got the trailer, put up the back, got the stuff out, lugged it all in, set it all up and everything. And it got to the stage where I said to them, look, when I'm aware, I just want you to do this. You've got full authority. If you decide that the blue microphone does not go here, you've got full authority to put it somewhere else. Because I'm not going to be here. Just get on with it. I've shown you where it plugs in and how it corresponds to the thing on the back. And, and uh, the, the projector goes over here. But if you decide to put the screen here, that's absolutely fine. Just get on with it. Just want the thing set up, working, and functioning. Flip me. It took me about two hours to do this every Sunday. It took them 30 minutes. They were far more efficient. They were younger than me. There were more of them. And they could just get on with it. And that was the thing the stage had been set, authority had been given, and the guys and gals were inspired to accomplish their mission. Jesus set the stage. In only three years, he made an impact that we're still talking about in 2019. That's the reality, isn't it? Jesus could have taken care of the next thousands of years himself, but instead he said, get on with it. I give you full authority, get on with it, just do it. God has chosen us to do his work. Chosen, changed people like Louise to change the world. He's chosen a body to live out the mission here on earth. And if you've put your trust in Jesus, you're a member of that body. You don't get to sit on the sidelines. You don't get to just observe. The apostle says in 1 Corinthians 12... You are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. I, I don't see anything there that says, if you're over 65, you're not. Or if you're disabled, you're not. Or if you're black, you're not. Or No, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Male, female, educated, uneducated able not so able young old doesn't matter we are part of it a part of the body each one of us playing a unique role based on the unique giftedness god has given us and that's the point isn't it when god knit you together in your mother's womb i reckon he was doing this <laughs> here we go. Because each one of us is unique. Each one of us designed uniquely. Praise God there's only one Wayne Stanworth in this world. Because God uniquely made you. Praise God there's only one Alison Mason because God uniquely made you. And I could go around each and every one of us God uniquely made you for his plans, for his purposes. He crafted you and knit you together in your mother's womb and was full of anticipation for when you would be born. Full of anticipation for how you would come to know him and be used in his plans and his purposes. Uniquely designed with the giftedness that you bring to the table and to the body. Wow. It's exciting. Ephesians 4, verse 7. Christ has given each of us special abilities, whatever he wants to have out of his rich storehouse of gifts. A spiritual gift is a God given ability to perform a role with ease, with success. You you see people who are gifted in certain things, they're amazing. It's fantastic to see people operating in their gifts as pastors. It's so, wow, isn't it? We get so excited when we see people stepping up and getting involved, and you can see their giftedness. It's fantastic to behold. And if you're a believer and you're sat there this morning and you're thinking only the most spiritual people have spiritual gifts, you're wrong. The truth is you've been given at least one spiritual gift. And no, your spiritual gift is not picking your nose or being a jerk to your colleagues or roasting the preacher at lunchtime. Your spiritual gift has been given to you to help you in the body carry out the mission of Jesus. Wow. And yet what's normal is for us to use our giftedness for ourselves. That's the normal pattern, isn't it? for our own gain, our own advancement. What's totally savage is to use our giftedness to honor God and help others. That's radical. When I was about 12, I wanted to join the SAS. I had a coffee table book all about the SAS. I used to read it before I went to bed at night. I read about how each member of the team has their own role. They're all skilled professionals, but they are given specific roles that they will fulfill in the team. One of them will be more assigned to being a sniper. One of them will have very particular first aid gifts. One of them will be very, very good at navigation. Of course, they're all highly trained and all able to do bits and pieces. But their skill set, when it comes together as a team, wow, they are elite. They are amazing. They're not working for themselves. They're working for the team. What if we started thinking about the church as an SAS body? Hey. Wouldn't that be amazing? Because all too often we behave like a bunch of wimps. What if we started seeing ourselves as elite what if the savage thing was to say to each other, right, come on, man, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's, let's change the world for Jesus. Let's make a difference. Let's use our skill set. Right, we'll use this person here. We'll use this person here. We need, the, we need this here. Let's bring in this here. And we just work collaboratively and collectively for the glory of Jesus as Mariah. Wow. That is Savage. That's savage in the Christian world. Because I could directly jump teen churches as many of you could. Well, that ain't happening. Each of us is a part of the body. Each of us has a gift. How do you discover that gift? Are there different ways to discover your giftedness? Various surveys are available. We've used some of them here. If you want to talk to Pastor Tim and myself afterwards, they're all very helpful in discovering your giftedness. But you know what, I think Pastor Tim would totally agree with me here, because it's a conversation we had about three years ago. The best way to discover your giftedness is to seize the opportunity to try it out. That's what you've got to do. We had a lady at my last church who thought her gift was singing. <laughs> uh, praise God, nobody else in the fellowship thought her gift was singing. But she was absolutely convinced. And when she sang in public, voila, it became apparent. Now, you know who I'm talking about. That's the problem. And you three know who I'm talking about. But when she sang it, it was very apparent that it was not her gift. But the best place to realize that is amongst the church, the body. Because you want to stop damage being done outside. So the best way to figure out what your gift is is, Step up to the plate. Try it. If somebody gives you the opportunity to speak in front of a group of people, take it. If you stink at speaking, it'll become apparent. (laughs) If you get the opportunity to sing, try it. Maybe you'll be able to pick it up quicker than you think. If someone gives you an opportunity to lead something or be involved in a ministry area, take the opportunity. Step up. Discovering how bad you are at something can be just as helpful as realizing how good you are. Explore your giftedness. Take the opportunities in front of you to honor God and to help people. So we've defined what the body is and that we all have a role in it and how to discover discover our unique giftedness. But why? Why am I banging on about this? Why? why do we use our giftedness to help the body why is it so savage to use our talents to honor god and help people through the church great question thank you for answering asking here we are to get back to the passage david read from a slightly different version why is it that he gives us these special abilities to do certain things best it is that god's people will be equipped to do better work for him building up the church the body of christ to a position of strength and maturity. The church will never become strong if some of us sit back and expect everybody else to do the work. We've got to get involved. We've got to take part. You are uniquely gifted in that way. You are here for a purpose. You are not here just to sit on the pew. You are here to play your part. There are so many wins when it comes to using your gift in the God and help people in the church. Last week we talked about how God wants to do immeasurably more through us as believers. I tell you, God wants to do even immeasurably more through us collectively as a church. Pastor Tim and I can't do it all. We're good. But we can't do it all. The deacons... Some of them are good. They can't do it all. You know, Suzanne Oliver, look at her. You know, she's good. She can't do it all. We can't. We have to work together. I've heard sports coaches use the old African proverb, you can go far by yourself, but we can go further together. So true. God wants to use your unique personal giftedness for a totally savage purpose, to make an immeasurable impact by together being the hope of the world. You will not go out of these doors back to normality if you determine today to turn things around in God's purposes. Please don't settle for second best back with your friends, back with your colleagues, back with your family, back in your job. God wants you to use your giftedness, and he wants to use us as Mariah Baptist Church, the body of Christ, to make an immeasurable impact in Risker. Let me hear an amen for that one. Amen. Thank you, three people. <laughs> On an individual level. Countless surveys and studies have been done that have recognized that one of the most explosive, high impact things anybody can do to move forward in their relationship with God is serving in the church. So I want to ask you this morning if you are struggling in your relationship with God, how do you serve Him? What are you doing? serving in the church helps us mature in our faith it's what paul is talking about in that verse that often gets misquoted or misinterpreted do you remember this verse we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown from here and there by every wind of teaching He's talking about the fact that there's safety in collaboration there's safety in numbers there's safety by being together we watch out for each other we're looking after each other we're growing and maturing together each of us using our own unique giftedness and then we're able to keep each other on track you all right is everything all right you sure everything fine okay how can i help you there okay some of us here this morning serving in the church is the next big step in us personally moving forward in our faith journey with Jesus so what's stopping you what's stopping you from taking the next step in your faith journey and serving here at Moriah serving in the church is one of the most purpose filled and fun things you can do and God wants you to play a role are you in I hope you are It's savage to discover your role in the church. So, what could you do? What about the children's work and youth ministry? This new 19 down ministry that we've got. God calling you to be involved in that? Step up to the plate, get serving. What about hospitality ministry? You know, we have a faithful group of people that do a lot of work. I'm sure they could do with a bit of help. What about setting up for various meetings? It is amazing the dedicated, faithful commitment of one or two individuals in this church that I just see tirelessly, again and again and again, putting out chairs. Could you help? What about our intern ministry that uh, is being launched this September? We're welcoming two new interns. What about hospitality? Some of you are amazing at hospitality. What about offering? Hospitality. We've got accommodation for them. We don't need that. But what about cooking them a meal? What about saying, come around and play board games? Could, could you serve? What about the Risk of Toilet project? You know, that, that, that's going to be launched in the next week or so. Please God, it does. It's all starting to come together, but we need help. We need help. C- can you help? Is, is that something you could do? Could you step up? There's so much weeding around the building. You know, we all come in and we all look at it. What about getting involved? What about praying? What about committing to pray for the church and its ministry? What about giving? What about stepping up to that tithe that you've been promising to do as you seek to honor God? What about membership? What about baptism? What's your next step? God is challenging us to work together for his purposes. And it begins with us surrendering ourselves to him. Oh, please, Lord, work amongst us and use us to your glory. Amen.